0: A few weeks ago, I read an article in the paper. I just thought was interesting. It was an article about government saving bo- savings bonds. What could be possibly interesting about government savings bonds? I'm glad you asked. So um, these are called I bonds. I bonds. All right. Uh, they were uh, recently recently paying just north. Of nine and a half percent okay now they're I bonds meaning that these bonds are adjusted for inflation and inflation if you haven't noticed you have okay so these bonds are adjusted for inflation and so um, until the 1st of November they were just north of nine and a half percent. Currently, they're at 6.89%. And that will adjust again next spring. And now, 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 of course, there's fine print. There's always fine print. And you know, you have to lock your money up for a year or else you're gonna pay withdrawal penalties. And, and, and there's a, you know, there's a per person purchase cap. And, and but according to the article, Uh, it's as safe as cash because it's a government-backed bond. It's a government bond. And according to Forbes, uh, U.S. bonds are widely considered the safest investments on earth. On earth! Because the U.S. government has never defaulted on its debt, investors see U.S. treasuries as highly secure investment vehicles. And thus concluded this article now if you are new let me just remind you this is church Um, I'm not a broker or a financial advisor or anything like that I'm a preacher preachers love illustrations and the point of all that I've said thus far is to illustrate The never-ending quest for security. There it is. That's where he was going with this. People seek security. People seek safe harbors in which to anchor their hope. And this is true in the stormy waters of financial uncertainty. And in those waters, we want to know who can supply the most security without the risk of loss or the risk of default. We want security for our deposits, for our investments. And there is an emotional effect to security. And that emotion is peace that emotion and that emotion is freedom freedom because you can go about your life and you can live in peace and freedom and you need not keep checking to see if your account is secure it's just there and that will affect you emotionally and it will encourage you give you peace give you freedom give you confidence give you confidence question 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 where can the soul find lasting security? Where can your soul find lasting security? Where, where can your soul find peace without the risk of loss hmm? or default uh, or worry or anxiety? Is, so is there a security that gives holding power? and and one that not only resources my life but one that makes me a resource for others because when peace dominates my life and when encouragement dominates my life and when there is just this sense of freedom and confidence then it's not just for me to have but it's for me to share and so i can become a resource for others a resource, of, a resource of support, a resource of wisdom, a resource of direction, a resource of guidance. Where, where can that kind of security be found, one that's even better than an eye bond? Would you like to know the answer to that question? Well, take your Bibles and meet me in Hebrews chapter 11, verses, excuse me, 6, chapter uh, Hebrews 6, 11 to 20. So, I try to do when I try to go off my notes here, right? Let's stay on those notes. I want to look at some verses that have to do with, with, with security. Security. Hebrews 6, verses 11 through 20. And in these verses, we're going to see the soundest source of security ever you want security you want terra firma well hear these words from the word and we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end so that you may not be sluggish but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. This is the word of God. Do you hear security in these verses? Man, church family, our only security in a stormy world is anchoring ourselves to God's word and God's son. That's it. That's what what I've got for you today. Let, 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 Let me put it this way. Let me put it this way. God desires, God desires. Did you see that in the text? God has desires. God desires. He desires to demonstrate his dependability so that we will anchor our hope to his word and his son. That's where I'm going today. Man, man. I don't know, I don't know what story you came from. I don't know what your idea of God is. In here we've got so many different church experiences and family of origin stories. And what we're trying to do as we study through this sermon to the Hebrews, this sermon that was preached 2000 years ago whose words still resonate with our hearts today, what, what, what we're trying to do is just understand and apply the plain sense of the scriptures. So what did the author have in mind when the author first wrote these words 2,000 years ago? And it seems to me that these verses give us a picture of God's heart God has desires, and those desires have to do with us. God's desires lead him to want to demonstrate his dependability to us so that we will rely on him no matter what. God wants to make it easy for us to trust him. To anchor our lives in his care. So God has desires for our encouragement. And how does he do that? How does does he demonstrate his desires? These verses tell us he offers his word and then he offers his son. That's it. Those are my two majors today. The, The dependability of God's word and the dependability of God's son. Word of God, Son of God. God demonstrates his dependability through these two secure sources. Let's dive in. First, God desires to demonstrate his dependability by his word, by his promises. Verse 12 says, be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises there we go promises word the word of god now now who does the author have in mind for the original audience to imitate well look at verse 13 you see abraham for when god made a promise to abraham so the author says i want you all to be like abraham Can you see yourself in the life of Abraham? So don't just read the Bible trying to seek just data points. Read the Bible saying, well, that's that's, that's my life that's in there. This is me. You see yourself in the life of Abraham? And, And you say, well, why Abraham? Well, the congregation was predominantly Hebrew. And Abraham was the father of the Hebrew people and so all the all the author would need to do is say abraham and and the congregation with their heritage with their hebrew heritage would immediately just think genesis 12 1 through 3 when the lord said to abram go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that i will show you and i will make of you a great nation and i will bless you and i will make your name great so that you will be a blessing and i will bless those who bless you and 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 he who dishonors you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God in his sovereign election chose Abraham to be the father of the Hebrew people. And God called him and the man was 75 years of age when it happened. And his wife Sarah was beyond child-bearing years. And yet they left all they knew, all they knew. And they journeyed to a land they'd never been. And they were like refugees. And all they had was the promise of God. That's all they had. And you read the story of genesis you read about abraham and and then you know you get to genesis chapter 15 uh after after an unsettling event in abraham's life and and in genesis 15 abraham's he began to waver he said you know lord i you know i'm not getting any younger how's this going to work and here's how here's what god said god said bring me five animals a heifer a goat a ram, a turtle dove, and a pigeon. So Abraham did. And then God said, kill them and cut them in half. And at nightfall, the Lord appeared to Abram as, as a smoke, and the scripture says in, in uh, Genesis 15, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch. And in our contemporary world, we're, we're going, what's that all about? Well, In our world, when we wanna sign covenants or agreements, we get get out the pen and the paper and the witnesses and we sign and there's official documentation, et cetera, et cetera. Not how they did it back then. Back then in the ancient Near East, there was a covenant-making ceremony whereby the parties of the covenant would slay animals in half and then they would walk through the half. They would walk through the half, and and, they, and, you know, and it was almost like a figure eight pattern, as if to say, if I don't keep my covenant, may what happened to these animals happen to me. See? And they would walk in a figure eight between these animals. But here's what's interesting. Here's what happened in Genesis 15. When you go to Genesis 15 and you read it, Abraham didn't do any walking. God did the walking, as if to say, I alone assume the obligation. That's the promise. That's a promise that Abraham depended upon. And of course, you keep reading Genesis, and, and God came through. God came through, and <laughs> he was a hundred years old. And, and I mean, and and, and Sarah, I mean, and, and and Isaac was born, and they named they named him Isaac. And Isaac means he laughs. He laughs. Uh, Genesis twenty one. Why, why he laughed? Because who'd have thunk it? Yeah. The child of promise. Child of promise. And, and those of you who know the story of Abraham, you know what happened next. You know what happened next. Genesis, Genesis 22, Genesis 22, the Lord tested Abraham. The Lord tested Abraham. The Lord said, take your son, take your only son, take your only son whom you love, take your only son whom you love, Isaac. Wow, that, that's how it's put. And offer him as a sacrifice. Now, who would do that? What kind of a God would do that? The kind of God who wants to test our faith. That's who. And Scripture says Abraham obeyed him. And, and, and as he reached out his hand to slay his one and only son, whom he loved, Isaac. I mean, a second more, and it would have been over. An angel of the Lord interrupted. Cancel that order. Genesis twenty-two fifteen 15 says that the angel called to Abram a second time from heaven and said, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son your only son I will surely bless you I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice Genesis 22 15 to 18 now I'm mentioning all of this church family because that's what's in hebrews chapter 6 verse 14 when god made a promise to abraham saying surely i will bless you sure literally surely i will bless you with blessing i will increase you with increase abraham's faith was resolute in the god of this universe And he waited for that son, and he was patient, and he endured, and he obeyed the word of the Lord. And in Genesis 22, 5, the the, the most significant part of Abraham's faith, in my view, is in Genesis 22, 5. Genesis 22, 5, Abram said to his servant, we, Isaac and I, you stay here, servant. Isaac and I, we will go up to worship. And then he said this, we will come back down. We will come back down. And when young Isaac asked his father, Father, we've got the wood and the fire. Where's the lamb? And Abraham said, because his trust in God was absolute and resolute, he said, Son, the Lord will provide for himself. The Lord will provide for it. And that was the depth of Abraham's dependence. And so God says, look, I promised you, I pro- I promised you back in Genesis 12 that I would... I would bless you and make you into a great nation. I said that. And then I said that, and I reiterated that, you know, with this ceremony in Genesis 15. But now I'm going to back it up. I'm going to, now I'm going to back my promise up with an oath. Surely I will bless you. Now, now, now this is remarkable. Hear me. Does God have to make promises? The answer's no. Much less back those promises up with an oath. Do you know why God does not have to make promises? Look at verse 18 in Hebrews chapter six. The is there, you see it? For it is impossible for God to what? Lie, yeah. So if God always tells the truth anyway, why would he make a promise and then back that promise up additionally with an oath? You, you see where I'm getting at here? When I, we went to close on our house years ago, you know that they, they actually made me sign something, the nerve. Yeah, I mean, that, you know, it's, it wasn't enough for me to say, yeah, I'll take the house, I'm good for it. They would have laughed, right? I got to sign something and, oh, I got to have, you know, a down payment. But why? Because, because they don't trust me. That's why. That's it. Come on. That's, just, that's it. But you see, but God, we're talking about God. God never lies. So why would he need to make a promise? And then on top of that, back that up with an oath. And by the way, it's about oath-taking, you, you, you hear the, what's in the mind of the Hebrew preacher here? You know when you, when you and I take the witness stand in a court of law, you know I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help me God. Meaning if you know if I don't tell the truth, you know, I'm going to be dealt with by someone greater than me, right? Swearing by something greater. That's verse 16. But when God takes an oath, who does He swear by? Because there's nobody greater than God. So so when God takes an oath, he says, so I swear, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So help me, me. Yeah. And and so why would he do that, though? Why would he do that? For us. For us. That's why. For he wants us to know and feel that he is, in fact, secure, that that he's good for it just like he did with Abraham. He does it for us. He wants us to feel safe in his security. God aspires that we find rest in the harbor of his care. So he speaks his word, then he gives a promise based on his word, and then he gives an oath on the promise on the word. He backs up those promises with an oath. And that's what's behind verse 18. The two unchangeable things the two unchangeable, things. what's unchangeable? God's promise and God's oath. It's, it's, it's just, God is just intentionally being redundant. Why? For my encouragement, that's why. He, God, who had every right to maintain his privacy, gave up his right of privacy by speaking. And then more than speaking, he makes promises. And then he reinforces those promises with an oath. So we are worshiping this morning the privacy waving word-speaking, promise-keeping, oath-guaranteeing God. That's wonderful. That's awesome. And again, it's not for his sake. It's for our sake because God wants to encourage us he wants to reassure our souls that they so that they will be in peace and when your soul is at peace in an uncertain life people will look at you differently for it will be evident that the infrastructure of your soul can withstand the storms of life so here are some promises here are some promises oh Soak in these church. Matthew 6:32, 6, Matthew 6.32. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Revelation 2:10, Revelation 2:10. Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life, Jesus said. That's not a maybe, that's a promise. Hebrews 13, 5 says, Christ will never, ne- not that he might, never, or could possibly, most of the time. Christ will never leave us or forsake us. Hebrews 13:8. Hebrews 13:8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. First John 1 John 1:9. Christ will forgive all our sins. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. He will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Philippians 1.6. Christ will finish the work that he began in us. Oh, oh, in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 Corinthians 15. Christ will transform our bodies and cause us to rise again. The reason why we encourage daily time in the Bible, church family, is so that we who have fled for refuge will have strong encouragement to seize the hopes that before us. God, God wants your heart encouraged by his word. That's why we need to be in his word. We're not asking you to do a mindless, mind-numbing, spiritual chore. We're just inviting you to have your heart encouraged by God's word. Just like he encouraged Abraham. God wants you to be encouraged. God wants his word as a bouncer at the door of our brains In order to expel the world's lies while admitting the inerrant truth of his word. All for our encouragement and joy and laughter. Oh, I mean, couldn't we all use a good belly laugh? Well, get in God's word and he will make you laugh. He desires to demonstrate his dependability by his word and then... He desires to demonstrate his dependability by his son. That's in verses 19 and 20. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. So the preacher gives us this beautiful image of a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. You know, in early Christianity, believers uh, were buried in, you know, the, the... the, the catacombs, the tombs, and etched in stone on their tombs were anchors, anchors. You see, your soul needs an anchor because hmm. if you go out into the deep, there's currents out there. And in order for anchors to work, they've got to be attached to you. The anchor has to be committed to you. But the anchor also has to go to a place where we can't go. See, the the anchor can't just go into the water because we're already in the water. The anchor needs to fix itself to the immobility of the rock. And when the anchor grips the rock and we're attached to the anchor by way of the rope or the chain, that anchor's not moving, the rock's not moving, and the anchor that's attached to the rock isn't going to move, and so we're not going to move if we're attached to the anchor. And of course, you know you don't need an anchor in calm waters, and you don't need an anchor when it's sunny and 75. You need an anchor for the storms and the waves and the turbulence. And listen, everybody in this room is seeking to to fix their lives, to anchor their lives, something secure. And we want to know, we want to know, are there any rocks at the bottom of the universe? And the Bible says, oh yes, oh yes, there is one who is trustworthy. And here's what's beautiful about this passage. <laughs> our soul's anchor doesn't descend into the depths of the sea. Rather, our anchor is hurled into the heavenly realm, to the inner place Behind the curtain, the curtain, what's that? What's that? Remember the tabernacle in the Hebrew Bible? Remember the curtain which separated the holy place where the high priest could enter only once a year? That whole picture is the tabernacle is just a copy, a facsimile of the real heavenly realm. And the preacher says that our anchor is fixed on jesus and he is why we do not drift our immovable rock is christ no 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 our immovable rock is jesus look at verse 20 jesus where jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf why does the preacher say jesus instead of son of god or christ because the Preacher wants the church to know that this is the Jesus of history. This is the Jesus who walked on the earth. This is the Jesus who taught like no one has ever taught. This is the Jesus who suffered and died and buried and rose bodily. This Jesus has entered the inner place behind the curtain of the heavenly realm. This this facsimile of the Old Testament is really just a... a, 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 a copy of the true heavenly tabernacle where jesus has entered and whereas in the facsimile the high priest went one day out of the year this jesus has entered and he remains there on our behalf on our behalf he says come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Put your trust in me. Put your hope in me. Don't put your hope in I-bonds. Don't put your hope in money. Don't put your hope in education. Don't put your hope in your family or your children. All these are wonderful and bountiful gifts from heaven, but they make lousy gods. Where is your security? Are you anchored to an immovable rock? Are you? Oh, I, I can't help but uh, think about the story that Pastor Tim Keller once told about a college professor named Dr. Addison Leach, Dr. Addison Leach. Keller wrote, Keller wrote about two young women at the college where Dr. Leach taught, and these two women at the college, they were bright, and, and, and their respective parents wanted them to get master's degrees and go on to become mission, uh, excuse me, go on to, to careers, but, 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 but these ladies became Christians and they decided to become missionaries. And all their parents had a fit. And one of the mothers called Dr. Leach, thinking that he was why the girls had become, in her words, religious fanatics. Rather than pursuing the course that they had hoped, getting a career and having security, instead they're going wildly off into the blue. This mother, this mother said, we want our daughter to get a master's degree and start a career and get something in the bank so that she can have some security. And when she said this, Dr. Leach responded, Ma'am, let me just remind you of something. We're all on a little ball of rock called Earth and we're spinning along through space. And even if we don't run into anything, eventually we're all gonna die, which means that under every single one of us there's a trap door that's gonna open one day and we're all gonna fall off this ball of rock and underneath will either be the everlasting arms of God or nothing. So maybe we can get a master's degree to get some security. Tim Keller said, the biggest savings account in the world, the biggest savings account in the world can't stop cancer. It can't stop traffic accidents. It can't stop broken hearts. It can't give you anything, any of the things that only God can give you. He's the only security you can have. And he's the only love that you can get and can't lose. Church family, I came here today. To plead with you to put your hope in the only rock who has gone before us on our behalf so he so jesus is our forerunner which which does not mean well i did it now you can do it try harder no no that's not good news no no the good news is that he is there to say i've done this for you on your behalf so you don't have to i am here jesus says i am here in capital r reality the heavenly realm on your behalf so that you can anchor your hope in me and hope listen hope is not a rope dangling in midair for my weak and frail hands to grasp and seize and hang on to. That's not what we're talking about. Hope is the guarantee that all will be well because Christ lives. There it is. No matter where you go in life or how hard it gets or what you're suffering on account of Christ's rising, Your true coordinates, according to these verses, will always remain in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And and our gracious God desires this for our encouragement so that we can be a resource for others. Um, You ever heard of a pastor named Edward Moat? Edward Mote. Well, let me tell you about it before I sit down. Before he pastored, Edward Moat uh, was a carpenter, apprentice. And through hard labor and conscientious efforts, he came to own his own cabinet shop. And one day, uh, while walking to his work, he started to think that maybe he should write a hymn and before he reached his shop, he had had the chorus written. And before the day ended, he had four stanzas of this. And the following Sunday, he went to visit in the home of a friend who was a a minister. So this, this carpenter who later became a minister went to visit a minister whose wife was dying. And they read from scriptures, and they prayed with her. And, and then it went to sing, and there was no hymnal in the house. So Edward Moat reached into his pocket. He pulled out some verses. He said, well, may I, I wrote this. May I sing this? And he did. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. you know it? I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Then he got to this verse. When darkness veils his lovely face, I rest on his unchanging grace. Through every high and stormy gale, My anchor holds within the veil. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Yeah. So Edward Moat went into the ministry and he served his congregation for more than 20 years until he himself at the age of 77 lay on his bed of sickness and this is what he said he said i think i'm going to heaven i think it's time for me to go to heaven i am nearing i am nearing the port and the truths that i have preached i am now living upon and they will do to die upon Ah, the precious blood which takes away all of our sins. It is this, it is this, which makes peace with God. And, and he died. On this day, November thirteenth, eighteen 1874, on Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking. sinking.